Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favorite online betting company. And with the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalized bet. And if you can't watch all the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. Hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker, and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. We're back from a little break. Laurie is currently away on holiday, but I'm pleased to say we still have Andy Mitten, editor of Unite We Stand, and who also writes fantastic work for us at The Athletic here among us. Hi, Andy. How are you? Hi, Carl. Nice to join you. I'm, I'm fine, thanks. I had a, a little break myself, and before that, I was in Lisbon uh, for the Champions League for 11 days, so I was... Uh, Slightly envious that Manchester United weren't there, but uh, I watched the European Cup final and it just felt flat and was completely underwhelming. But Bayern Munich are a very good football team, but we know that. We all know that now. But, you know, I'm just saying, if you're playing Bayern Munich in a Champions League final and they're a goal up 80 minutes ago, you can still beat them. It's happened before. There's always a chance. And I think if some PSG players were as motivated as Ander Herrera was there would have been more chance of that happening. But if you don't take your chances, then you're going to get killed by a team as good as, as Bayern Munich. And I, I think they probably are the best team in Europe and probably the world uh, at the moment, and they deserve it. They put eight past Barcelona. And my concern is, when am I going to be seeing Manchester United playing against the likes of uh, PSG and, and Bayern in the Champions League again? Although, interestingly, the, the the last team to eliminate PSG were United in that uh, in March 19. So, fortunate straws a, a little bit. Here's <laughs> a funny old game. And we'll get back to your uh, particularly uh, swear-filled interview with Ander Herrera in due time. But first off, a little bit of transfer news. It's the big one, of course. It's the fact that I, Carl Anker, are now reporting on Manchester United for The Athletic. Uh, and also I've moved to Manchester, which is pretty fun. Andy, you've lived in this city more than anyone else. Uh, any tips about navigating Manchester? It's a good city, Carl, and I'm pleased you've moved there. And I, I genuinely think that you will enjoy it. It's changed an awful lot. And in the 80s, like the big northern cities, it was coming down from that sort of post-industrialisation. And the city centre was full of of car parks and not enough economic activity. And I can remember in the early 90s going into Raylim and asking the lady in the tourist information in Munich train station for some information. She said, I must make a note of where you're from for our files. And I said, England, she said, where's in Manchester? And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, why? She said, because my husband's been there. And she said, he said, it's such a terrible place. And I said, it's not, it's a good city. You know, and it genuinely is. And I've travelled the world. I've been very fortunate to travel. And Manchester is is a good city. I'm not saying it's New York. I'm not saying it's the best city in the world, but it's improved a lot. Uh, people ask me about it a lot. I think it punches well above its demographic because the urban area is only two and a half million. And that includes Rochdale and Stockport and, and Oldham and, and even Wigan. But in terms of its football and its music and it's rain, it punches well above <laughs> the, the size of it. And it's improved a lot, and you're seeing now this this uh, this skyline go up, which 
I can remember in the mid nineties being excited when a 12 story building went up. So to see these 60 story glass towers going up, it excites me because I like architecture. I like skylines, but there's a flip side to it. And we've, we've seen the several documentaries about homelessness in the city center. There are a lot of social issues affecting Manchester and questions as to whether these glass towers are, are built for Mancunians and, I saw Paul Heaton, the, the singer who moved to Manchester like yourself. He wasn't a Mancunian and, and he loves it. He's been there for 20 years and he hates what Manchester's become. But Bernard Sumner at A New Order, he loves what it's become because he can go and have sushi in spinning fields and he can go to Harvey Nichols. And I think it's definitely improved. I, I really noticed an improvement uh, around the Commonwealth Games. Okay. And... There's a lot to do. The, the nightlife's always been good. It's not as good as people think it is. And I know a lot of people who who go to Manchester midweek for football and they're staggered at how quiet it is. And they say, they say to me, you're always saying it's such a great city with a nightlife. And we were there Tuesday, Wednesday night and nothing was happening. But it, it comes alive at the weekend, definitely. And it's a city which produces. Maybe it's because it's not sunny. Maybe because there's no beach there. But there must be a reason why all this music comes out of one city and Liverpool as well. But I'm glad here. you've moved there. And I, I think you'll like it and I'll be happy to um, steer you along the way and get my family I, to look after you. I've been here for three weeks and I will say uh, thank you to the postman who delivered me a package and went, what, Carl Anker from the football podcast. And also thank you to the very nice man on the Northern Quarter who recognised my voice off the podcast and recommended I go out to Rudy for Pizza because I had some recently and it was very, very good. Now, let's do some business. Don't forget, listener, we've got loads of Manchester United writing over in the Athletic, not just myself, not just Andy, not just Laurie, but even more from other writers. We've also got things from other sports. Apparently there's a great sport in America called baseball. Um, and you can read everything on The Athletic for free for 30 days by using the code theathletic.com slash Pod. We're going to be continuing our countdown of the greatest players to ever grace the Premier League. And rest assured, we are in the top 10. And there's going to be a few Manchester United players in there. At the time of recording, we've just launched number 9, Mr. Wayne Rooney. Uh, you can guess who's going to be in the top 3. And, uh, well, you can yell at us about who came number 1. Back to business. Manchester United have signed someone. It's a midfielder. It's not Jadon Sancho. It is Donny van der Beek. I have been have been told on very good authority that it's pronounced van der Beek rather than van der Beek. The box box, sometimes number 10, Dutch midfielder has been signed from Ajax in a fee thought to be worth 40 million euros and a contract that is possibly five years long. Uh, and joining us on the line, we've got the Athletics correspondent, Adam Crafton, to tell us a little bit about the inside story about how this deal got over the line. Adam, how are you doing today? Um, good, thank you. How are you, Carl? I'm doing very well, especially now that Manchester United have genuine options in midfield. Tell us, how on earth did this deal come to pass? Yeah, well, I think it's a, it's an interesting deal in that, you know, by by all accounts, he should have been playing for Real Madrid this season. In that Real Madrid first agreed a deal uh, last summer with the intention of signing him in the summer of 2019. That then fell through because they were unable to get players out of their squad to make space for him. Then in January, Real Madrid retained their interest and secured a deal to sign him for this summer. Again, as far as Van der Beek was concerned, his future would be in Madrid. It then started to change partly because of COVID, placing consequences on Madrid's financial muscle. But there was also consequences on in terms of how they were able to move players out of their squad. 
which remained a condition of the transfer. So I think it was late April, early May, Madrid communicated to Van der Beek, despite paperwork being in place, that they wouldn't be able to go ahead with the transfer. Then it became a question of which club would come first. Arsenal were interested, Tottenham were kept abreast, Juventus, Atletico Madrid. But Manchester United's interest actually goes back to uh, May 2019, when Tottenham played Ajax in the Champions League semi-final. The first meeting took place between Matt Judge, United's head of corporate development, but de facto chief negotiator on transfers. He held a meeting with uh, Van der Beek's representatives in United's London offices in May 2019. And, and they've kept in touch since. And then they, it looked like Madrid had him. And then when the opportunity arose, United are the club that has acted most decisively. You've written a fantastic piece on The Athletic right now, um, outlining the inside story about how this piece came about, who Matt Judge is and, and sort of the role he plays in this negotiation. In terms of numbers... We're looking at 40 million and a five-year contract. Is that correct? Uh, it sounds like it will be a five-year contract with the option to extend for another year. So I'm not sure how United will announce it, whether they'll say it's a six-year or five-year. Um, it is, as far as I understand it, it will be the option of six years. He's on more than £100,000 a week. It will go up to £40 million, including bonuses and add-ons, um, which I don't think are particularly difficult ones. Um, to get up to. But I think United will consider it a really good deal in that, you know, the two deals that Real Madrid agreed both last summer and January would have been going up to 50 million. So I think that's partly a result of the COVID transfer window, I suppose, in that mm -hmm. it's placed a squeeze on finances. Certainly the Dutch league clubs in Holland, their league was curtailed. They need, they, they're in a weaker position. Uh, the Premier League is still relatively strong, as we've seen with a number of deals already. You know, you've seen clubs like Leeds still able to spend uh, huge amounts of money on certain players from Europe. So I, th I think that's that's an element of it. And then I think it's also a case of having spoken to people quite close to the deal that United were quite clear in that they weren't prepared to pay what they considered to be over the odds when there is a global pandemic. They've been making the point in this window, yes, we're a football club, but we're also a business and we have to make sensible decisions for the business. Now, I'm sure... There will still be loads of United fans who remain sceptical about Ed Woodward and Matt Judge, about their record in the transfer market. But I think there is a sense of growing momentum in the market that over the last 18 months, that they've started to make more right decisions than wrong decisions. Um, I don't know, and Andy's probably better placed than me to get a, you know, a steer of how the fans feel about those two guys. But I think there is a sense that, that there's been more logic to what United have done in the market in the last couple of years. Andy, can I get a sense check from you? What have you heard from your contacts so far? Well, with Donny, and you pronounce him far better than I do, there's been interest for a while, as Adam said, and he's written in his piece, but it was only last week when it really sort of heated up. United are very pleased that they've done it, as Adam says, at times which the club see is extremely challenging. So there's, there's two ways of looking at it. Well, there's three ways. One, the club's way is that they've got a deal done. Um, they think they've been realistic with the pricing. There's a football perspective. He's young. He's come through the Ajax system. He's broken into the, the Dutch national team, not a full regular yet. The club feel that he's got goals in him, that he can play as a number 10, that they've got more options there, that he's versatile. They've been into him for a while. Maybe they know that he's not Jadon Sancho world-class level. And then the fans, what do the fans think? Yeah, I think that the signing will be welcomed. I've only seen him play live once and that was probably in the best game of football I saw last year. It was in the Bernabeu when Ajax beat Real Madrid. Did he stand out? Not especially, but that midfield, the whole team was was incredibly good in 
knocking out the holders and beating them in, in the Bernabeu. And I was very excited watching that side. And I've watched them a few times on TV as well, but I spoke to people in Holland and they speak well of, of, of a good player, one who fits with what I've, I've, I've told you from how the football side at, at United see it. The fans, I think they want more, not unreasonable. Um, you mentioned Matt Judge and Ed Woodward. I don't think either of them will win any popularity competition with Manchester United fans. Uh, Oli said that he wanted two or three players to have a team capable of challenging for the title. I don't think anyone expects United to win the league next year. So one of those players has come in. There needs to be a second and, and a third. And I think one of them has got to be a player who absolutely excites fans more than, than Donny does. It's a signing that I think is, is potentially a very good one. Rest assured that on The Athletic, we will have a tactical breakdown of Donny van der Beek, where he can play and how he will best slot into that squad going forward. As Andy says, I think that's the thing. If Donny van der Beek was to be the only Manchester United this, uh, signing this summer, that becomes a problem. Um, because that would not be what Solskjaer wanted at the start of the summer. It's not what anyone at United was targeting. If he becomes one of, you know, certainly one of two very exciting signings, then I think it becomes a very good window for United. Because United this summer, they have to be thinking, we, you know, we as a club, we want to consolidate that third place in the Premier League table. Doesn't mean you necessarily catch City or Liverpool, but you reduce that gap from third to first, from 33 points maybe to 10 to 15 points. If they were to do that, that would be a really good season, particularly with how Chelsea have strengthened. What role did Ole Gunnar Solskjaer play in the Donny van der Beek deal? Did he have a personal phone call with van der Sar or whatnot? Yeah, I think I think there's, I mean, there's a number of different people who have been involved in it. When it came down to it, the only club that made a formal offer for van der Beek um, over the past couple of weeks has been Manchester United. There's been a lot of clubs who have watched him for a long time. A lot of clubs who have registered interest at different points, but the only club that had the means, I think, at this point to properly do the deal was United. When he came back from his holidays earlier this month, his agents told him, we've got this offer from this proposal from United. They're now very serious about it. Van der Beek was interested, but he wanted to talk to the manager, which is normal for, for any signing. I think like most fans, he would have he would have been thinking, you know, how am I going to fit in as a number 10 in a team that already has players like Paul Pogba, uh, Bruno Fernandes, Juan Mata still at the club. And, and I think Solskjaer's pitch was that great players can always find a way to play together, that United are in four competitions this season, a season that's heavily condensed. They're going to need to rotate. The players who are in the best form will play. That was the pitch from Solskjaer. He was the only person, the only manager who made a direct phone call to Van der Beek um, in the process. Actually, even in the Real Madrid pursuit of, of Van der Beek, he never actually spoke directly to Zidane. It was only with people like Juni Calafat, who runs the recruitment department there, and Florentino Perez was involved. So, so Solskjaer's clearly had an impact. And as, actually, as soon as he had that conversation the deal was pretty much there you know there was no more concerns from van der Beek. financially the deal was good for him he could see from a football point of view what Solskjaer wanted from him I think Solskjaer's underlined as Andy says that they want goals from him um, United don't feel they've had enough goals from inside the penalty area from their midfielders for quite a long time now and it's a bit of that you know without being unfair in terms of making comparisons but that Paul Scholes' ability to ghost into the penalty area, to lose a marker, to make sure you're getting 10 to 15 goals a season from midfield can be a really valuable thing in a team that's he that was heavily dependent on a front four of uh, Greenwood, Rashford, Martial 
and Fernandez, particularly from the penalty spot um, at the back end of last season. So I think that's what Van der Beek will bring to them. And, and further to what Adam says there, Oli's really good at making these personal contacts and it can be quite tricky when a player plays for a different club, but he, he wants to know about the personality. It goes back to this quote, I'd rather have a hole in my team than, a, than an arsehole. Or, or at all, as I saw it being reported several times. He, he does a lot of due diligence, and that often means speaking to people he knows after a lifetime in football. I know with Donny, he felt that he played Champions League football. He feels that it's going to be a huge step up for Manchester United this year. The Champions League is much, much tougher than the Europa League, and it could be an even more unforgiving uh, fixture list than normal. We don't know how the season's going to play out we don't know whether there's going to be more interruptions but if you look at United's best seasons in the Champions League when you're reaching those big games in March and April or July and August whenever it's going to be you can be in Madrid on on the Wednesday and at Chelsea away three days later you need much more strength in depth than Manchester United have currently got and if you've got players who've not just played in the Champions League but have excelled in the Champions League that is a good thing and I'm told from a couple of players at the club they absolutely welcome the signing, but there needs to be more. If United are going to push and close that gap further, as Adam said, there will be disappointment if Don is the only signing. With five weeks left for the transfer window, a lot remains to be seen. Uh, Adam, I think we have to say goodbye to you, but thank you so much for explaining how this signing came to pass. Pleasure. See you soon, guys. Readers right now can go on the Athletic and read a piece from Adam and other assembled members of the Manchester United team that describe the events that went on with Harry Maguire in Mykonos and the legal case that went forward in the week. It runs all the way up until Harry's recent interview on the BBC. Andy, I want to get your thoughts on Harry Maguire and what has turned out to be quite a turbulent summer for him. Yeah, Mykonos. Um, I went there 10 years ago and it's a beautiful island which has become... A popular place with the type of British people who go to Marbella like to be seen. There's a Soho house open there. You can spend an awful lot of money in Mykonos. You're not getting eight beers for eight euros like you're getting in Magaluf or you're getting in Benidorm. I've got some sympathy with Harry Maguire. Uh, I don't know him very well, but I know people who do. And nobody's giving me a nod and a wink saying... This has been waiting to happen. This is a bad lad. This is someone who knocks around with the wrong people, who courts trouble. I think he genuinely wanted to be a normal lad and go on holiday. And the places where you can go on holiday too, because of COVID, are restricted. So you can't disappear off to Las Vegas. A lot of footballers like going there where they're completely anonymous. Dubai. I know players who go there in, in May and June because they're guaranteed the weather that you're not going to get in Europe. But it's trickier this year. So he's gone with his mates and obviously spent decent money there. But you stand out a mile when you're a high-profile footballer. And I've seen some footballers, they don't, they don't realise the people lurking around them and their intentions. And some of them may only want a picture, but some of them may have ulterior motives. Throw in social media, throw in alcohol, and you've got a potentially volatile mix there where... You're being judged. You can't really relax because you've got people making snap judgments about you. And if you pose and have a quick picture with one of them, then it's Harry's a great lad, absolute legend, great lad. And if you politely decline that picture, maybe because you're having a meal, then 
you're arrogant, you're up yourself, and judgments are made in a snap. And it's a wrong thing to do. And I, I had some sympathy for him. I don't know where the truth lies. There's different versions of the truth. Usually, they usually are in football. Um, the, the Greek prosecution's version is very different to the stories we get out of Manchester United. But this wasn't me shaking my head going, oh no, what's he done now? I think he's a good egg from a good family and he's gone away in a mixed group and uh, of male and female to have a nice time. And I've got a bit of sympathy for him. And looking at it without investigating it, the evidence doesn't really seem to, to stack up either. So hopefully he will be vindicated. Sadly, I don't think he'll go there again. I think he'll um, he'll go to somewhere where he can be anonymous. He'll go somewhere, if he goes into Europe, then maybe he'll, he'll have to take personal security. And there's a cloud hanging over this. It's pretty sad, but that's how, how high-profile footballers from the biggest clubs are. And it is, it is only really the biggest clubs. And I know a lad who plays for Leeds United, and he comes over to Manchester once a month, and nobody recognises him. That's probably going to change. And when you do play for Manchester United and you're the captain of Manchester United, even if people don't recognise you in that sort of nightclub, beach club, day club environment, then word would very quickly spread. And that is almost inevitably a bad thing when you are the player. If football fans were allowed in the stadium, do you believe they'd back Maguire at a time like this? United fans would because it's that siege mentality. And... There's been times in the past, like when, when David Beckham was public enemy number one after the France 98 World Cup, when tabloid newspapers were printing a picture of a dartboard on there uh, with Beckham's face in the middle of it. You could almost say that that was, that was incitement to hatred. But I remember Beckham's first away game after France 98. And I found myself sat in the main stand at Upton Park. And he was getting loads of abuse from West Ham fans. And that was to be expected. But privately, I was listening to some West Ham fans going, I'd love him here, though. So it was almost like pantomime villain. And there's a lot of that in football. People are going to the game to, to vent their frustrations, to sing, to have fun, to be partisan. And that, that all plays into the theatre of going to a football match. I'm certain that United fans would back Harry Maguire. Footballers have changed an awful lot. You mentioned Roy Keane. At that time, the United players would go out one, two, three, four times a month. And a decade previous, it'd be even more than that. And they would drink heavily. I don't know of any heavy drinkers within the current Manchester United team. And Roy's written in detail about what happened on that night out in Mulligans in Manchester. And he got wound up and he snapped. And he knew he shouldn't have let himself uh, get wound up. But he ended up in the police cells and... I've seen it a lot with, with, with footballers when they go out. It's like um, a light switches on in the room. Everybody just, just looks at them and some can handle it better than others. And it's one reason why they often would go in places where people are not going to bother them, live in areas where they're not going to be bothered as much. But at times, um, I think it's it, it, it's difficult for them. People don't have sympathy for the millionaire footballers, but... He's a, he's a lad from Yorkshire who's gone to Greece and tried to have a nice holiday with his mates. And I don't believe um, he went with any ulterior intentions of causing any problems. And I've got some sympathy for him for, for the reasons that I've outlined. We've had a Sancho section on this podcast for a little bit now, but this is probably the quietest Sancho update we have to give you this week. Um, 
So, um, yeah, that's about it. This is the quietest one. It doesn't look as if anything's possibly happening, and it could be something closer to next season. Andy, is the, is Manchester United's transfer window a win-loss, depending on whether or not they bring in Jadon Sancho, in your view? If it's not Sancho, then I feel they've got to bring a top-class player in. Uh, Donny will not just be enough, as, as I've said. Um, the battle lines are quite clear with Sancho. Dortmund want a fee. I don't blame them for acting how they're acting. No deal was ever done. No personal terms were, were ever agreed. There was a lot of hot air and, and, and inaccurate reporting uh, around that. He remains Manchester United's number one transfer target. Uh, United are being cautious because there's a lot of uncertainty around football at the moment. I think there's only Chelsea and Manchester City have got a completely different ownership model to the rest. They can act in, in a different way. But look at the other big clubs. There's not a lot of deals going on. There's uncertainty about whether next season will be an uninterrupted one. There's uncertainty about broadcast revenues, about match day revenues, about sponsorship revenues. And for United to go and pay £120 million, although the pound has crept up a tiny little bit in the, the last few days, that'd be about £108 million. I think if any deal would be done, it would be structured in, in instalments. I also think that the player would have to push to leave. He would have to say, I want to go. I'm not happy here. And that, that has to come from his side. And then if it's not going to be Sancho, I think it, it's got to be a player of that sort of calibre. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote about Kingsley Coman a couple of weeks ago. Um, his stock has changed because he scored the winner in the, the European Cup final. But he didn't feel he was going to get games with the players that Bayern Munich have, have brought him and United were absolutely interested in him and he was absolutely interested in going to Manchester United and then and there's one or two others United are still very very attractive to to, to footballers but they're just words I'm saying what fans will want to see is a real player who joins the club one where fans think he really excites me he's going to improve the team and maybe people don't think United are going to win the league next year, but you could give it a right go with a top, top signing. I just think it's going to be difficult this summer. I, I, I do, and I think we're seeing evidence of that right across football. There have been links to Douglas Costa, who used to play for Bayern Munich and is now at Juventus. Uh, Harry Stapes did also ask, should we be looking at other alternatives? But I would like to offer Harry a rebuttal in a small piece I've written on The Athletic, which... Essentially, I'm trying to outline that transfers will not define Manchester United season. There's a lot more to football than just who you bring in. And, and, um, and you're right there, Carl, but a huge number of fans are utterly obsessed by transfers. They, they <laughs> just are. And it does define the summer for, for a lot of fans. Now, I get it that um, strengthening the squad is important. I wouldn't be happy if Donny's the only player... Who comes in? And I promised to learn how to pronounce his full name by the time I next come on. on. Um, but some of the most notable players were not transfers. Mason Greenwood came through the youth system. Brandon Williams came through the youth system. Um, Paul Pogba coming back was not something people would have expected at, at the start of the year. Anthony Martial had his best season. Marcus Rashford continued his progress. Fred finally came good. Nemanja Matic came good in 2020. Of course, Bruno was a game changer when he came in in January. Of course, transfers are important, but they are not everything. They are. They are not everything. Listeners, I will be writing Manchester United season preview for the 2020-21 season. 
and we're going to be including transfers, best case scenario, worst case scenario, and a little bit more. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com slash athletic and pay the postage fee of £4.95. And if that wasn't enough, as a listener of our show, Talk of the Devils, you get two free extra beers. So that's 10 beers for free. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beers from the very best craft breweries. They're now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. The beauty of Beer 52 is you can leave at any time. The power is in your hands. And they deliver these beers straight to your front door. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment, and a beery snack is thrown in as well. It's great. Just go to beer52.com slash athletic to get your free case. And don't forget right now, listeners can get two extra free beers. Ten beers. What more do you want? Another thing we want to talk about in regards to the squad is Mason Greenwood's there. That's really nice, isn't it, Andy? Yeah. he's A year ago, people were talking about Mason being this exciting team prospect. But we've heard that before with lots of players. Very few of them actually break into the first team do as well as, as he did and scored as many goals as he did and the style which he scored the goals and he deserves it. You know, he only made his first premiership start in December and that, that was a huge game against Tottenham at home and he did really well there, especially in, in the first half. So I think he's integral to the future of Manchester United, but he's only 18 years old. You cannot expect him to play 50 games next season and that's why a top-class player needs to come in. Who can play in that, his position? Who can play on the right? I still think that Dan James can come good, but he was bought for the future. The problem for him was he did so well in the first month that expectations went through through the roof. So there's lots of reasons for optimism at Manchester United, but I still think a top player has, has, has got to come in on top of Donny the Dutchman. Donny the Dutchman, Donny van der Beek. Van der Beek, like shake. Um, <coughs> van der Beek, I'm learning from you, mate. Donny van der Beek. Where can you shake and write about Donny van der Beek? We want to say thank you to Dr. Marcus Rashford to give him his full title for his work bringing major food giants together in the United Kingdom in order to tackle food poverty. Rashford unfortunately had to drop out of the United League squads due to a flare-up of his ankle injury. It's something he's been going back and forth with since that nil-nil draw against Liverpool in the spring of 2019. But we wish him a speedy recovery. One Manchester United striker enters the England squad and another one leaves. Andy, you've been on this podcast before and you've talked about the relationship between Manchester United and the England squad in the years that have passed. How are you feeling about Rashford being injured right now? Blessing in the skies that can get fit for the start of the season? It could be. I wouldn't be too concerned if every Manchester United player pulled out of every England squad that they were named named in. Uh, but the players do see it differently. There's definitely a pride in representing their country. That can that enthusiasm can dim after five or six years when they realise that England are not very good and that it's a lot of time away and there tends to be cliques within cliques within the national team. But I think getting a cap is is recognition. It means a lot to them. A lot of these lads have come through the junior ranks at England, through the schoolboys, through the 16, 17s, 18, 19s. Um, but I've seen too many great Manchester United players return from playing with England. Injured, Brian Robson, Steve Coppel, 
Neil Webb. And some of these were serious injuries. I've seen lads like Gary Neville and Phil Neville get abused by England fans. So, wait a minute. You, you're going to play there. You're a decent player. You're giving up your time for next to nothing because commercially and financially, it wasn't a lot to play for England back then. Or David Beckham. And they got dogs abuse just because they played for Manchester United, who were the best team in the land and Europe and even the world at that time. So, there's an, un, an unholy... Uh, uneasy relationship between Manchester United and England and I've watched England and I've been there in the last couple of international tournaments you don't see a lot of Man United fans there look at the flags at the next England game they're from Coventry they're from Leamington Spa they're from smaller towns they're not from Manchester they're not from from Liverpool and I think there's a mutual distrust between United fans and, uh, 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 and England Wouldn't it be great if every clothing store you shopped at had only your size had only the styles you like and had everything at the price you wanted. Well, Stitch Fix is a company focused on doing just that. It's an online personal styling company that makes sure you get the clothes you love as simple as possible. It's a completely different way to shop, and it's all about you. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk slash devils to set up your profile and deliver great looks personalized just for you. You can pay a £10 styling fee for each fix, which is credited towards anything you keep. You schedule this at any time with no subscription whatsoever. Delivery and returns are completely free and easy, so you can always send back items that aren't right for you as well. So, to get started with Stitch Fix today, go to stitchfix.co.uk slash devils right now. Right then, Andy, we keep speaking about loads of different cities. You've spoken about all the different places you've lived. You are now currently living in Barcelona, so I can imagine the current talk of the town is about Lionel Messi. Any chances going to Manchester United? I've been away for a week and I've looked at my phone and... I just didn't want to look at a screen for a week and I'm getting lots and lots and lots of messages about Messi. Messi can't go to City, can he? What's going to happen there? Um, you're right, I've, I've divided my time between Manchester and Barcelona for, for 20 years now and I've interviewed Messi several times, uh, which is a challenge, but he's Lionel Messi. He's paid to play football. And I remember 10 years ago, I finished one interview with him and he started asking me about Manchester City. And I thought, why is he asking me? Why is he not asking Carlos Tevez, and who'd gone to City? And it was basically asking about the money, which City paid their players. He's fallen out with Barca big time. I've probably watched Messi play live 200 times. And some of the greatest performances I've ever seen with a football have been by that little man from Argentina. I've tried to get him to join United lots of times. He, 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 I'm not... I'm not saying he's my mate, but he knows who I am. He knows where I'm from. And he half apologised for, for Rome and Wembley uh, in subsequent interviews I did with him. Of course, it'd be great. Get him to Manchester United. But I fear that his financial demands will be extortionate. And I don't think that United could go there. I really don't. I think it would be City and Chelsea. Obviously, City's got the relationship with, with Guardiola. And given the free pass they've had from financial fair play, I think that they can spend that sort of money on him. I'm still 50-50 on whether he'll be at Barcelona next season or not because he's, he remains hugely important for Barca, for their fans, far more than their president, and also for La Liga. They lost Cristiano Ronaldo last year. La Liga have been very aggressive in going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Premier League globally, and they know that Messi's the biggest name in world football still. Before we wrap up, 
I'm just going to answer a couple more questions. One from GrumpySod84 on Twitter asks of which young player we think will step up to Manchester United this season. I've answered this one. I think at The Athletic, we have a series currently going called The Breakout Star. And uh, this weekend, I recently watched Manchester United's under-23 team play against Huddersfield in a three-all draw. And the player that stood out to me most was Ethan Galbraith, a Northern Irish midfielder who looks phenomenal on the half turn. Uh, always taking the ball into space. He's only five foot nine, but can definitely outsmart some of the larger midfielders I've seen. Andy, do you have a pick for a young player to be a breakout star this season? Well, Ethan's, yeah, been one of them. I think you've got a couple of players who are probably ahead of him in terms of their age and their progress who need to go out on loan. So we've seen the goalkeeper, uh, Kovar, go to Swindon Town. Um, James Garner, he needs to be playing first-team football. He's way above the level for the, the 23s. Uh, Ethan Laird as well. I think Arnau Pujmal probably needs to go out on loan. So the, the, a good batch of players has come through there. And I think there's a very good coach there in Neil Wood, who is from Stratford. He grew up a mile from Old Trafford. And I don't know what your impressions were watching the team at Huddersfield on Saturday, but there's a, there's a very good youth system there now. It's not complete yet, but five years ago, I wrote a couple of very critical articles about the youth system of Manchester United because it was completely underinvested. Uh, but now there's um, Hannibal, I think he's a good player. He's been probably hyped more than the others. Um, Tedden as well, who, who, who won his um, first team debut towards the end of the last season. He really impressed in training throughout and that was his reward. He's followed his coach's instructions really well. So I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of players... Maybe I would I would be surprised if they played the number of games that Brandon or Mason played next season. But I wouldn't be surprised if we're seeing a couple of lads come through and play twenty matches. Absolutely. Uh, in conversation with those at the Ellen Twenty Three game, I've been told a number of players there are subject to a loan move if the correct suitor can be found. Um, while matches like don't quite have a deal like Chelsea and Vitesse in the Eredivisie. There are certain clubs that Manchester United are beginning to form partnerships with. So, we shall see. Uh, one further question is from Mooney Darson, who simply asks, there's talk about Manchester United fans selling Fred. Should Fred go? Andy, what do you think? No, no, he's come good, Fred. If you would have asked me a year ago, I would have been found it hard to defend him. But Fred was man of the match in Manchester United's best performance last season away at Manchester City. He's got something and... I think he's a decent player. I think the the problem with him was that he was training really well and then he'd start games and he'd make a mistake and his confidence level would drop. Um, I think the arrival of Bruno and Matic's resurgence affected him. But up until lockdown, Fred played more games than any outfield player. Now, if Galatasaray came in and offered 50 million... I think United are looking to get some money in and, and lighten the load. Um, but I, I think Fred's got something. If I had to choose the six players who leave Manchester United first, Fred would not be on those those top six. I think he's done enough to deserve another couple of seasons and to continue his progress. And it has been progress after a pretty poor first season. Thank you so much, listener, for joining us for Talk of the Devils. We apologise for the little pause we had, but Laurie needed to get some sleep and I had to move to Manchester. Andy, what's going on with United We Stand at the moment? We're going to do another issue. Um, we're starting work on it. We've got the, 
same problem we've had since March in that we can't sell fanzines outside Old Trafford, but we've had a surge in orders for subscriptions, printed and digital, all around the world. I'd like to say that the mail systems of the world have been working flawlessly. They just haven't been. There's uh, reduced numbers of flights, costing us a fortune to send abroad because the mail rates have been increasing. So there's all sorts of logistical issues there. But in terms of content, we're getting sent in so much good material that it's a pleasure to, to read through it all, to edit it, and to think that United We Stand has still got its place. We worked really hard last year. It's the current fanzine of the year. And I'm pleased that Manchester United fans are supporting what we do. It's completely different to what you find um, on social media, for example, but people are, are, are trusting us. We've done it for 31 years. We've built a lot of contacts in that time and hopefully we can make people laugh. And, and we always welcome new writers, talented new writers from all different backgrounds. We've always prided ourselves on that, giving people a chance. If you can offer something different, then uh, I'm all ears. So it's going to come out. Uh, for on the 12th of September, issue 307. And I'd like to think we'll be selling it at Old Trafford in real life as soon as possible. But it's uh, it, it, it's a difficult time as for, for, for the obvious reasons with COVID. I would recommend any young journalist to get in contact with Andy if you are interested in writing for United We Stand. And I will also say, I finally put my money where my mouth is and subscribe to United We Stand today as my payday treat. So there you go, mate. <laughs> Top man, I appreciate that, and and do let us know that the the postman who you seem to be on good terms with <laughs> does his job and delivers the mag to you. If you've not had it within three days, then uh, get on to me and I'll kick off about it. But cheers we'll for subscribing, you know. I appreciate it. And, and, and that money that money goes into supporting a, a small mag. Uh, it's, it's as simple as that. And the people who sell the mag, they use the money normally to to go to away games and. That that's the community which we think is is worth supporting. We don't do um, the, the the transfer rumors. We source all the stuff we do well, and we've seen loads of good writers start with United We Stand and flourish. And we've also got some really experienced writers who who write for us because they love writing for us. And there you have it. And thank you, listener, for another episode of Talk of Devils. Don't forget, you can read loads more Manchester United writing from myself, from Laurie, from Andy, and from Adam. Thank you very much for joining us again, Adam. Over on The Athletic, access is currently free for new subscribers for 30 days by going to theathletic.com slash Pod. We're going to be back sometime soon with Laurie and some other guests, possibly, in the near future. But for now, it's goodbye from Andy. Carl, it's been a pleasure. And goodbye from me. Thank you so much for listening to Talk of the Devils. We're a Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll see you soon. <laughs>